Galatians six eleven through 18, Paul writes, Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross or the torture stake of the Messiah. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. And then here's our text. We, we discussed those verses last week. Our text for today, verse 14. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the torture stake of our Master, Yeshua the Messiah, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace be on all those who follow this standard, and mercy also be on the Israel of Yahweh, says God here. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I carry the marks of Yeshua on my body. Brothers, the grace of our Master Yeshua the Messiah be with your spirit. Amen. So, today will be my last sermon in the book of Galatians. It's been a long time. I picked this book to teach through because I have had a lot of questions asked to me about Galatians for many years. It seems that this is the number one book that people use to say that the law of Moses has been abolished or that we're not required to keep the law any longer. And on the surface, I can see why. I can understand why on the surface. But hopefully I've shown otherwise by digging deeper and examining things both culturally and contextually. I hope that it's been a blessing. I hope that these sermons will be a service to the body of the Messiah here, but also to the worldwide body of the Messiah. And my prayer is that people will find the teachings easy to understand, yet at the same time educational. And when they're asked about a certain text, they can go to that section in the series, the chapter and the verse in the teachings, and they can use these teachings as a study tool to learn more and be further equipped to give an answer to every question of the hope that lies within them. And I want to appreciate everybody here that over these last three to four years have texted me, called me, emailed, messaged, and said, thank you for that sermon, Brother Matthew. That sermon was exactly what I needed. I have a better understanding now for that teaching and that lesson. I appreciate the encouragement. And also, too, let me say this. My level of respect for Bible scholars who write commentaries has increased after this study. Um, I've spent about three to four years of my life studying this epistle of Paul. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of mornings, a lot of typing, a lot of meditating, and a lot of hot tea. <laughs> a lot of Earl Grey <laughs> and Irish breakfast. So I want to say thank you to all of the people in the past and in the present who take their time to study books of the Bible and write commentaries on those books. I plan on doing a little YouTube video about all of the commentaries that I've read as I've studied through this book of the Bible. Uh, that doesn't mean that when you read a commentary, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that it says. But it's a multitude of counsel. You gather understanding from different spheres of the Christian faith and different ways of interpretation. And sometimes certain men come up with things that 
I would never see because maybe I don't know that particular cultural context or maybe I don't know a particular Greek word and I need that scholar to explain it to me better. So I'm very thankful and I have a lot of respect for men that have done that in the past and the present. So let's get to these last five verses. We'll begin with Galatians 6 verse 14. Paul writes, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross or the torture stake of our Master Yeshua the Messiah, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul has just finished criticizing the Judaizers or the influencers for trying to boast in the flesh of the Gentiles. They were using the Gentile converts as trophies for their trophy shelf. Look at how many I got saved, i.e. circumcised last week or last month. The Judaizers were really not interested in the Torah. They were just interested in boasting that they got heathens to convert to Judaism. And in doing this, they were trying to avoid being persecuted. They didn't want to go through being reviled and flogged and beaten and maybe even stoned for believing that the Gentiles could receive salvation simply by faith in the promised seed of Abraham. So the way to avoid being persecuted by the larger Jewish community was to make the Gentiles go through the conversion process. Then we won't have to suffer persecution like Paul is suffering. Paul, on the other hand, said he wouldn't boast in anybody's flesh. He would only boast in the torture stake of the Messiah, the cross of the Messiah. He talks about here how that Yeshua suffered for us and how that He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And This is of greatest importance to Paul. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that he delivered what was of most importance. How that the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose the third day according to the Scriptures and was seen of many, many people after he rose from the dead. So the cross of our Master here means the suffering and the death of our Master. Paul says, that's what I will boast in. What this teaches us is that we should never boast in what we do We should never try to take any credit for our service to Yahweh. No matter what level of holiness you reach, it all means nothing without the work of the Messiah. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of Yahweh's glory. None of us are without transgression. So where is boasting? It should only be in Yahweh's works for us. Paul's words here remind me of a scripture in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 9, 23-24. This is what Yahweh says, The wise must not boast in his wisdom. The mighty must not boast in his might. The rich must not boast in his riches. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is Yahweh's declaration. I believe that Paul was pulling from this text in Jeremiah when he wrote Galatians 6.14. I think he had it on his mind. And we are absolutely nothing apart from what Yahweh has done in our life. Nothing. Anything that we accomplish is by His grace and by His mercy. Anything we obtain, anything we conquer, any sin that you get control over is because of Yahweh's delivering power, not your own. Now, I don't think that it's a coincidence that right after this is written in Jeremiah, if we keep reading in verses 25 through 26, Yahweh says this through His prophet. 
The days are coming, Yahweh's declaration, when I will punish all the circumcised yet uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, all those who clip the hair on their temples. That's for another sermon series right there. (laughs) And reside in the wilderness. All these nations are uncircumcised and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. That word nations is goy in Hebrew. It's ethnos in Greek. It's the word that is commonly translated Gentiles. And it's used in contrast to the whole house of Israel here in the book of Jeremiah. All these nations are uncircumcised, talking about in the flesh, and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. So Yahweh says here He will punish all the circumcised yet uncircumcised. And I think this is the same thing that Paul has been dealing with in Galatia. We sometimes forget that Paul was a Benjaminite Pharisee who knew the Tanakh in and out, backwards and forwards. Notice that Yahweh lumps Judah in with the heathen nations. And it's because He says the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in their heart. There you have it. They have the outward symbol of physical circumcision, but the stony heart has not been removed. They still had that outer layer around their inner man, that stubborn layer that has no genuine desire for the law of Yahweh. Remember what Paul said back in Galatians 6 verse 13? He said, For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. That's the same thing Jeremiah 9.26 is saying. They honor Yahweh with their mouth or their outside actions, but their heart is far from Yahweh. He'll punish the circumcised yet uncircumcised. So, Paul boasts in nothing except the torture stake of the Messiah. And he says that through what happened on the cross, the world has been crucified to him and he is crucified to the world. Has the world been crucified to you? I realize that we have to live our lives. We go through the routine, everyday life. But we need to ask ourselves, what makes us tick? What makes us keep going on? What makes us keep keeping on? I have to say that this sentence from Paul is extremely convicting to me because all of the apostles' lives, not just Paul, are convicting. They gave up everything just to follow Yeshua. And following Yeshua then kind of meant something different than it means to follow Him today. Or at least the way that we do it today. Now, we live in a country today, thankfully, where we have religious freedom. We are very strange here to a lot of people outside these walls. We get talked about a lot. been called a lot of things. But we still have religious freedom to worship the way that we worship, to praise the way that we praise, to do things the way that we do them. Especially here in the southeastern United States, known as the Bible Belt of America, there's churches on every corner. You go through Conyers, you go through Loganville or the surrounding cities, and you pass all churches. There's religious freedom. And... People might think that we're a little weird or strange because of our beliefs, and they do. And we might get gossiped about, and we do. But what kind of persecution is that compared to being spit on or put in prison or flogged 39 times or stoned almost to the point of death? We have not experienced any of those things. So that makes me wonder for Matthew, and you can meditate on this yourself, but for Matthew, I wonder, has the world been crucified to me? And have I been crucified to the world? 
I was thinking this week about some of the Coptic Christian men who had their heads chopped off by Muslim extremists back in 2015. The word Coptic just means Egyptian. Um, later, through uh, the way that words change in their meaning a long time, uh, Copts or Coptic began to be a term that was applied to Egyptian Christians. And uh, these particular Christians make up about 10% of the population in Egypt. Egypt has around 90 million people and there are about 9 million Copts or Coptic Christians. But these extremists that committed this beheading of these Coptic Christian men, they actually videoed the executions. This is actually a, a real screenshot picture from what happened. This isn't a fake. And these men had done nothing criminal. They were simply captured in their country and then they were taken on to the shore of the Mediterranean Sea and the guy holding out the sword or the knife there dressed in the camo, they all have masks on. These are Muslim extremists. These were called ISIS by all of the news groups back then. And these men just would not renounce the Messiah. They not, would not recant their biblical faith and pronounce faith in Allah and the Muslim religion. They knelt there on the shore and they did not fight back and they had their heads chopped off right there because they were devoted to Holy Scripture and they were devoted to the Messiah from Nazareth. Now, I watched recently an interview that someone did with the wife of one of these men. And this is the lady here on the screen. She said that she counted her husband worthy of respect and praise for dying for the Messiah. She said it was sad. For about two weeks they mourned and it was sad. But she said when they found out that they had died as martyrs, they were thankful. And she was glad that her husband did not give up on his faith. And I'd like to watch a portion of this video now, just a couple minutes long. Welcome to this edition of Christian World News, everyone. I'm Wendy Griffith. Thanks for joining us. Well, imagine seeing your husband, brother, or father brutally killed by religious fanatics. That's what happened to many families when ISIS executed 21 Egyptian Christians in February. While the horrible video led to worldwide outrage, some families are happy that the martyrs kept their faith. And as Gary Lane found out, they're ready to forgive. I was very proud that my husband stood firm in his faith and that he didn't deny Jesus. That surprising reaction is happening 150 miles south of Cairo in the village of El Aour. Residents there honor the sacrifice of 21 Egyptians, brutally murdered last February by ISIS. Their pictures are prominently displayed in the sanctuary of Virgin Mary Church. Thirteen attended this church. The martyrs left behind family members, like 23-year-old Miriam Farhat. She became a widow when the militants beheaded her husband Malik Ibrahim in Libya. She first learned of his murder when she saw this now infamous video on local television. We were very sad for the first two days, but we hadn't seen the video. When we saw them in the video calling to Jesus, we were very comforted. And that's why Miriam and other families say they are now joyful, not sad. Babawi Alham's brother Samuel was among those killed. We were always praying that God would make them steadfast in their faith. We were very happy with what they said on the video, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. When we found out they had been killed for being Christian, we were very comforted because these were God's children, and He took them. 
Although Samuel's wife and children now live without a husband and father, his family told CBN News their faith is stronger. They forgive the jihadists and even pray for ISIS. I pray for them that God may open their heart and they may know the truth and know that what they do is wrong and then do the right thing. Jesus told us to forgive every sin and we forgive them and we hope that they can come to know Jesus. Paul said, I will boast in nothing but the cross or the torture stake of our Messiah through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. I would like everybody to take some time to meditate on that. Um, We have people in other countries that actually give up their life for what they believe. And, you know, that would really separate the true from the false here in our nation if that was the case. Galatians 6, verse 15. Paul writes, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. So the, the acts of being circumcised or remaining uncircumcised in and of themselves, the acts in and of themselves do not mean anything. It's like Yahweh said in Jeremiah that He will punish the circumcised yet uncircumcised. What matters instead is a new creation. And I take new creation here to be speaking of spiritual regeneration. The act of going from sinner to saint or from going to someone who has no regard for Yahweh into someone who puts Yahweh at the forefront of his life in all things. Remember what I said last week. The love of Yahweh is to keep His commandments. All of them. Not one of them and boast in one. Not an outward act and boast in that. But to allow Yahweh to take control of your entire life and all that you say and all that you do. If a person does not have a circumcised heart and genuine faith inside of them, then what you do on the outside doesn't mean anything. We will all just be whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. The Messiah got on to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 and He said, you spend so much time cleaning the outside of the cup and the dish, but you leave dirt on the inside or on top of the plate. First clean the inside so that the outside may come clean as well. You know, you can take a car and you can put the most expensive paint job on that car. The best body work, windows, lights, beautiful paint work, wheels, tires. You can put a nice stripe down the middle of it. Make it look sharp, as they say. You can put it on the showroom floor. But if you do not have a motor inside of that car, you will never drive it off of the lot. It will just sit there and it will look pretty. Unless a person is a new creation, unless a person loves Yahweh because their heart is new, then getting circumcised means nothing and being uncircumcised means nothing. What matters is a new creation. Remember this as well. Those terms, circumcision and uncircumcision, they don't just apply to the physical act and the non-physical act. They apply or refer to Jew and Gentile, to Israelite and heathen. See, Israelite boys were circumcised on the eighth day of their life. Heathens, Gentiles that didn't grow up in Israeli homes, they were not. But neither being an Israelite or a heathen in and of itself means anything. Neither being a Jew or a Gentile in and of itself means anything. What matters is a new creation. And that's why Paul writes what he does in verse 16. He says, May peace be on all those who follow this standard, and mercy also be on the Israel of Yahweh. Now this verse, Galatians 6.16, is the culmination of everything that Paul has went over in this epistle. 
it shows that the Israel of Yahweh is made up of those who practice or follow a certain standard. Right after Paul says that circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing but what matters is a new creation, he says, may peace be on all those who follow this standard. And mercy also be on the Israel of God or the Israel of Yahweh. Now, I believe that what Paul is doing here is Hebrew parallelism. I believe that the book of Galatians was written in Greek, but I'm speaking of the concept in Paul's mind as he writes. The Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament will often say the same thing two times, but in two different ways, using words that can be compared or phrases that can be compared with one another. So here, peace and mercy are equivalent. Those who are peaceful are merciful. Peace be upon these people. Mercy be upon these people. Peace be upon who? Those who follow this standard. What standard? That what matters is a new creation. Verse 15. That we should boast only in the cross of Messiah. Verse 14. That's the standard. And mercy be upon who? The Israel of Yahweh. The Israel of Yahweh are those who follow this standard. Both Israelites and non-Israelites who join are one. And only those following the standard, only those that practice a standard, are the Israel of Yahweh. It doesn't matter how much Jewish or Israelite blood you may have running through your veins. If you don't follow Yahweh, you're not part of the Israel of Yahweh. Same thing applies to a non-Israelite who can have zero Israelite blood running through his or her veins. But if they follow Yahweh, if they follow the standard, peace and mercy be upon them. They're part of the family. They're grafted into the family. So who are the Israel of Yahweh? The true Israel of Yahweh is not a mere physical or genetic people. It is anyone, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, who follows this standard. It is those who have the faith of Abraham that are the sons and daughters of Abraham. It is those who exhibit this faith that are in right standing with Yahweh. Right standing with Yahweh is seen by looking at those who follow what Yahweh says. Now, I realize that salvation is by grace and mercy. I realize that through faith. I know that. But we must not lessen the truth that salvation, while it is by grace and mercy through faith, it is seen through obedience. That is how we know if someone has had grace and mercy upon their life. That is how we know if someone truly has faith in the promised Messiah. Is by obedience. You know who the children of Yahweh are by who obey. You know who has been shown grace and mercy by who you see doing the will of the Father. By those who follow this standard of the new creation. Not just an outward physical act, but that their whole life gets changed because Yahweh gives them a new heart and a new spirit, and they're not the same. And they can't get rid of it because it was a gift. Hallelujah. Yahweh delivered them into his, into his family. Yahweh adopted them into His family. Focusing on the outside only leads to trusting in the flesh. It doesn't do anything but puff up pride in people. And folks, they start worrying about their ancestry. They start worrying about what tribe they might be from. They start worrying about what shade or color their skin is. And eventually people get so wrapped up in it that they begin to judge other people simply by what they look like. Well, they can't make it in because they don't have the right skin tone or skin color. 
they can't be in the kingdom because their ancestry doesn't match up with what I think or I believe is right. I can assure you, Brother Matthew can assure you as a minister of Yahweh, that based upon the Scriptures, all of that is non-essential to salvation. All of it is. There is such a thing as a physical Israelite people, but it does not have anything to do with everlasting life. Nothing. You can be a thoroughbred physical Israelite and be as lost as last year's Easter egg. Salvation is not dependent on bloodline or physical characteristics. Salvation is dependent upon, yes, grace, mercy, and faith, but it's seen or made evident by watching who goes around doing the will of the Father. That's how you know who Yahweh's children are. This is not something new that Paul came up with. Yeshua told us in the Gospels that His mother and brothers are those who, what? Hear the word of Yahweh and do it. Luke 8, 21. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 12, verse 50. That's why you feel a lot of times closer to your church family or your congregation family than your actual blood family. Is because a lot of times our blood family, our kinfolk, don't do the will of the Father. That's why I can feel closer to Brother Jerry or to Brother Arnold or to Brother Rocket. Because we do the will of the Father, see. Yeshua said, He that endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10.22 Notice again that salvation is not predicated upon what you look like or your physical genetics. It is all about the spiritual. Enduring to the end is spiritual endurance, not physical endurance. Enduring to the end is a reference to keeping the faith till the end of your life. That's what that means. Keeping the faith to the end of your life. It was written to people back then. It still applies today. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. I believe that's actually a description, not a prescription. But the point is, is that it's a spiritual endurance. When you take hold of Yeshua's robe, believing in His work and doing what He taught, no matter who you are and no matter where you came from and no matter what your last name is, you become attached to the Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23, it says this, Yahweh of hosts says this, In those days, ten men from the nations of every language will grab the skirt or the hem of a Judahite man tightly, urging, Let us go with you, for we have heard that Elohim is with you. Yeshua is that Judahite man in that text right there. He's the one that ten men from the nations of every language grab a hold to the skirt of. And that word skirt or... Him, in our English Bibles, is the Hebrew word kanaf, and it refers to the corner of the garment where the tzitzit goes, where the tassel goes. And say, we want to grab a hold of your tassel because we, we know that Elohim is with you. He'll be your elder brother. No matter what language you speak, no matter where you come from, no matter what nation you are, if you grab a hold to His skirt, He'll be your brother. At the end of the book of Malachi, chapter 3, we're told about a book of remembrance that is written before Yahweh. And that book contains the names of all those who fear Yahweh and who have a high regard for His name. These will be mine, says Yahweh, a special possession on the day that I am preparing. Then Malachi tells us that we will see a difference between the righteous and the wicked. And he describes the difference as this, those who serve the Almighty and those who do not serve the Almighty. That's the difference. Once again, spiritual. Who are the Israel of Yahweh? Those who serve the Almighty. Who are not? Those who do not serve the Almighty. 
The same thing is seen all the way back to the time of the Passover in the land of Egypt. It was not just physical Israelites that left Egypt after the final plague. Exodus 12.38 tells us that there was a mixed multitude that also went up with them out of Egypt. The HCSB calls this an ethnically diverse crowd. The New Living Translation, I just so happened to grab my phone and pull up the NLT, which I like to read a lot of times in the Old Testament. And the NLT says, a rabble of non-Israelites for mixed multitude. I wonder, what is that word rabble? I remember Aunt B called Barney Fife a rabble rouser one time on the Andy Griffith Show. Call him a rabble rouser. You look up the word rabble in Old English and it refers to the lower class. The, the, the dregs of society. They went out with the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. There were Egyptians that went with them. There were even slaves from other countries that worked in Egypt that left. You know why? Because they watched Yahweh perform all His mighty acts by the plagues. I was talking to a brother recently. I can't remember who it was. One of y'all or somebody else. I told him, I said, had Yahweh not hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh would have let him go after the first plague. Imagine not being able to get any water and all the water in Egypt is blood. He said, let him go. No, Yahweh hardened his heart. And then plague after plague after plague after plague. Yahweh was building up His name. He was making His name great in all the earth. And some of the Egyptians saw it. And they said, we need to follow their mighty one. Not our mighty one. Exodus 9 verse 20 tells us that when the hail plague was announced, those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of Yahweh made their servants and livestock flee to the shelters. Pharaoh's officials. People's hearts were changed by those plagues. And when it came time to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, it was not just the Israelite homes that did it. Anyone who feared Yahweh and took His announcement seriously did so. And when the destroying angel went over the homes that night, he wasn't peeping through the blinds to see who was a physical Israelite and who was an Egyptian or who was a slave. The angel only looked at one thing. The blood on the doorpost. The blood on the doorpost was the deciding factor. It was the mark. It was the mark. During the second pronouncement of the law in Deuteronomy, which that means the second law, second giving of the law, Deuteronomy 29, 10-15. Let me read this. It says this. Moses is speaking. All of you are standing here today before Yahweh your Mighty One, your leaders, tribes, elders, officials, all the men of Israel, your children. Sometimes we want to leave the children out of the covenant. They're there. You keep reading in Deuteronomy, it says when the law is read, the children are present, the women are present. Some people want to leave the women out of the covenant. The children out of the covenant. They're just as much part of the covenant as the men. There is neither male nor female in Christ. I'm not any more saved than my wife. She's not any more saved than me. She has a personal relationship with Yahweh, just like I do. The children and the women were there. And then he says, And the foreigners in your camp who cut your wood and draw your water... They're standing there too. So that you may enter into covenant with Yahweh your mighty one, which He is making with you today, so that you may enter into His oath, and so that He may be your mighty one as He promised you and as He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant, this oath, not only with you, but also with those who are standing here with us today. Notice standing here with us today in verse 15. Goes back to verse 10. All of you who are standing today before Yahweh, your mighty one. 
Verse 15 also says, But also with those who are standing here with us today in the presence of Yahweh our Mighty One and with those who are not here today. When I read Deuteronomy 29, 10-15, I cannot help but think of Galatians 3.28. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one or equal in Christ. And if you belong to the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then my mind goes to something that maybe the Apostle Peter didn't understand. Even though he spoke these words on the day of Pentecost, after he talked about salvation, he said this promise is for you and for your children and as many as are far off, even as many as Yahweh our Mighty One will call to Himself. And I believe Peter was saying this even though he did not fully understand it until Acts chapter 10 when the sheet let down which signified that Cornelius, an uncircumcised Elohim fearer, could come into the faith by the faith that Abraham could be equal standing by faith in the promised Messiah. That salvation was based upon his belief and his faith in the Messiah and not in whether or not he performed a, a ritual act in order to convert to Judaism. Anyone who wanted to serve Yahweh was welcome. Anyone who refused to serve Yahweh was eventually cut off. That's the difference. And when you study the Bible from cover to cover, that's always been the difference. Those who want to serve Him and those who don't. Whether you're an Israelite or a non-Israelite, you can have faith in Yahweh and His promises and exhibit that faith by the way that you live. Peace be upon those who follow this standard and mercy also be on the Israel of Yahweh. It is not about who you are in the flesh. That's what the Judaizers made it about. They were not even concerned with the law. They were not even concerned with keeping the law. They only wanted to get the Gentiles circumcised for one reason so that they could say, look look what I did. So I can boast in their flesh. They could boast in getting a Gentile to convert Not to the Messiah, but to convert to Judaism and be an honorary proselyte Israelite through a fleshly ritual. And that misses the whole picture. It places our focus on the outside instead of the inside out. Salvation doesn't work from the outside in. You don't save somebody by making them go through things on the outside. You can't save somebody. I cannot save you by making you march down here and put my hands on you and having you repeat words after me. I can't save you. I don't have the power to save you. Yahweh can only save you from the inside out. And you won't be helped to be able to say, I repent of my sins, Father. That's how salvation happens. Brothers and sisters, stay away from any teaching that makes you focus on your genetics or your skin color for your salvation whether it's the white Israelite movement or the black Israelite movement, I believe that these groups have an agenda to start with. I don't believe they go to the Bible and get their teaching. I believe they already have an agenda to start with and then they comb through the Bible to try to find verses to back up what they want to say. And the Bible talks about how it is able to twist Scriptures to a person's own destruction. These groups have this agenda... They cherry-pick what they want and they make it sound like it goes in their favor. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something, they have cherry-picked from the tree so much there's nothing left to pick. They picked it clean. And people buy it hook, line, and sinker and there's nothing but hatred and animosity in people that focus on those things. They have made it all about them. They've left genuine faithfulness by the wayside. Their message is, look at me instead of look at Yahweh. 
Our message should always be, look at what He has done for me. Not look at who I am in the flesh. None of us are clean, Job says. None of us are clean. i got to finish this. Galatians 6, 17. We've got two more verses. Paul says, From now on, <clears throat> let no one cause me trouble because I carry the marks of Yeshua on my body. The teachers of the false gospel that Paul pronounced a curse on in Galatians chapter 1, they were trying to call out Paul as being false. We've got people today that try to still say that Paul was a false apostle for things that he taught. Run away from those people, brothers and sisters. Run away from them. They don't like Paul because they can't understand Paul. They cannot understand Paul because they do not have the spirit to understand Paul. Yahweh has not given them a sound mind. And I don't mind if you repeat this. If somebody rejects Paul as an apostle of Yeshua, I reject them as a brother or a sister. If you reject Paul, you reject Yeshua. Because Yeshua is the one who appointed Paul and sent Paul out to do his work. If you reject the one who is sent, you reject the one who sent him. So Paul, in his words here, carry this meaning. Quit stirring up all this strife and contention against me. I've got proof that I follow the Master, and here's my proof. The same stripes on his back are on my back. The scars in his hands are on my hands. What Paul means here by the marks of Yeshua is that he had been beaten and tortured for his belief in Yeshua. The word marks here in the Greek is the word stigmata. Stigmata was used, it's only used one time in the New Testament, but it's used in Greek literature to refer to a mark that was pricked or branded on somebody's body. In those days, anciently, oftentimes slaves and soldiers bore the name or the stamp of their master, branded or pricked on their body like a tattoo of sorts, similar to how people brand cattle today. Some heathens, you can study this out, some heathens would even stamp themselves like this or prick or mark their body with a depiction or the name of a heathen deity somewhere on their body. I believe that this is spoken against in Leviticus 19.28, another message for another time. Paul is not saying here that he got the name of Yeshua tattooed on his forearm. He is saying that the marks that Yeshua received before and during His crucifixion were now upon His body because He believed in and followed the Master. The Apostle Paul was beaten and flogged just like Yeshua was. Paul was actually flogged five times with 39 lashes each time. You can read about this in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews, from the Judahites, the Jewish community, 40 lashes save one. That's 195 total lashes. On the chest, stomach, back, probably hit him in the face. Could be why he had some of an eye problem. Might have had an arthritis problem. Might have been hit on the fingers and the hands. Those floggings left scars or brand marks on his body, stigmata. Paul's flogging and then he said he was beaten with rods three times. That was probably from the Roman authorities. And then he was put in prison. And then he fasted often. And he was shipwrecked. And he was sometimes cold. And he didn't have a lot of clothing, he says. These were all sufferings for the Messiah that left marks and fatigue on his body. Paul had went from a previous life of luxury 
to a life of poverty. In Galatians 1, he says he was excelling above all of his contemporaries in Judaism. Everybody praised him. He wore the finest clothes. He had the greatest name. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day as touching the law blameless. He lived a life of luxury and he gave all of that up to live a life of persecution and of suffering. And it will, it will surprise you if you have a little Bible computer or app on your phone, punch in suffer or suffering in the New Testament. And see how many times Paul talks about we have to suffer with the Messiah. He's not talk, just talking about somebody reviling you or speaking evil of you. He's talking about physical persecution. Flog me. I won't fight back because our master was flogged. And if I suffer with him, I'll reign with him. But if I deny him, he'll deny me, he wrote, he wrote to young Timothy. That's what the marks of Yeshua are. Where are your marks, Paul is saying to the Judaizers. Don't, they, don't, they don't need to be causing me any trouble. Where's their marks? Have they been flogged 195 times? Have they been beaten with rods? Have they been shipwrecked? Or do they still eat the finest meals and they don't have to worry about any persecution? Where are their marks? They don't need to cause me any trouble. I bear the marks of the Master on my body. I have proof that I love the Master. The early disciples and apostles of the Messiah rejoiced in their sufferings for Him. In Acts 5, when the apostles Peter and John were flogged, they didn't go away all in the mully grubs. They went away rejoicing. They got a chance to suffer. Something we don't even have an inkling about today in our country. Suffering like that. They rejoiced. Sometimes it ticks me off a little bit if I hear somebody has called me a cult leader or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Wish they have. I just wish they wouldn't talk about me like that. I shouldn't. I should never even say that. Even when that happens, I should rejoice and leap for joy. That's nothing compared to what Paul went through. That's nothing compared to what Peter and John went through. Call me a wolf, leap for joy. Say, you're nuts for doing what the Master did. Rejoice. Don't worry about it. Bless those that curse. Pray for those that, that revile you and speak evil against you falsely. Now, I don't have any marks of Yeshua on my body. But reading and studying things like this, it, it, it gets your mindset thinking, well, what if this would happen to me? What if this would happen? What, what if it would happen in our county? Are you prepared for that? How serious are we for the Master? This is Paul's final plea against the Judaizers. He's saying to the Galatians, where are their marks? Where have they been branded and pricked for Yeshua? Don't you think if they really followed Him, they would suffer for Him? If we suffer with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. I do think, one way that we can suffer, I do think in studying this, I think Paul is included in this, often fastings. I think he's including that in. I think that is one way that he's talking about how he suffers for the Messiah. He forbids food from his body to fast. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. I think we all need to be fasting more. We don't need to just wait to fast on Yom Kippur. <laughs> That's commanded fast, I believe. That don't need to be the only day you fast, brothers and sisters. The early Christians, according to the Didache, they would fast twice a week. The scribes and Pharisees, a lot of them would fast twice a week. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Galatians 6.18, brothers, the grace of our Master Yeshua the Messiah be with your spirit. Amen. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but I, just, I leave you today with that same ending. Grace, that's where it all begins. 
If grace is not shown to you, you will not be saved. And that grace that Yahweh has on you through His Son will begin to manifest. It will begin to make itself known by the way that you live. You'll be different. You won't be like the world. The world will be crucified to you and you'll be crucified to the world. You will be weird to the world. You'll be weird to religious people. You will. They'll think that you're strange. But it's only because... Never never get puffed up because it's only because Yahweh showed you some grace and some mercy. That's the only reason. <laughs> never boast as though you have not received. As a child of Yahweh, what you have was given to you. You did not earn it. You cannot merit it. It was granted to you. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve, Brother Jerry. He has not repaid us according to our offenses. Thank goodness. Thank Yahweh. I love everybody. I appreciate you for listening to Yahweh's Word today. And I say to you today, the grace of the Messiah be with your spirit. I pray that He's real in your life. Heavenly Father, thank You for allowing me to get through this book. Thank You for the people here. Thank You for Your people across the world. Thank You for those that believe in the seed of Abraham. Thank You for those that keep the commandments. May that be more real in our life than ever before. Forgive me for my sins, Yahweh. Help me to forgive those who sin against me. I love you, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.